Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike. And now for my personal disclaimer, although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get to Vet podcast are based on my personal experience. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Get to Vet. This is Trevor Maxwell. And with me as always, Mike Riggs, back again from the old hiatus and uh, number two. Yep, yep, yep. So we're, we're on a podcast and binge this week. We're recording a whole bunch of episodes trying to get ready for the fall season and uh because we got other things to worry about like mountaineer football is coming up soon absolutely (laughs) and uh so today uh this is a a topic that i've wanted to learn a lot more about and so our guest today diego ugalde did i say that right i I did say that right right ugalde fair enough yeah okay yeah We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's funny because uh, Diego and I worked together uh, way long time ago, like 15 years ago. Um, but he's he's uh, we brought him on to talk about something that I think is really cool. And I'll let him he'll him tell you about it. So, Diego, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Diego. Uh, some people pronounce it Ugalde, which is where, <laughs> where that where that uh, name comes from. It's kind of like the Basque region of like Spain and France area. Um, so, yeah, so you and I were together in the SEAL teams. I retired in 2018 and uh, we started the Trident Approach, uh, which is a personal team and leadership development organization. Um, but we go very, very deep. And, and part of what allows us to go very deep um, is um, I, along with most of the rest of my team, have been uh, thankfully exposed to psychedelic medicines. And so once we understood kind of what that was all about, it came away, it, it came about in a very kind of unusual way. But once we got introduced to it, we were like, man, this is nothing at all about what I had ever heard about psychedelics in my life. And, um, you know, with deeper exploration, I just started to come to understand self-awareness and awareness of things around me in, in a way that I never had before. Um, and so now, um, you know, with the Trident approach, we don't give psychedelic medicines. But what we do is we take the lessons learned that we got from the medicines we help people understand uh, themselves and other people on a, on a deeper level, which is something that's been really helpful for us and, and for them as well. That's pretty, how did you get into that? So um, one of, one of my instructors just smacked up pretty good with post-traumatic stress. And then we have our weekly meetings and he's like, Diego, I'm not going to be able to make the meeting next week, I'm going down to Mexico. And, uh, and there's an organization called vets veterans exploring treatment solutions that enables uh, special operations guys who are recovering from either post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, uh, chemical or behavioral addiction, and they treat them with the use of psychedelic medicines. And and so I had never really heard much about it, to be honest. And, and I was like, all right, cool. We'll, we'll see when you come back, hope everything goes well. And he came back the following week. And he's like, man, I got to introduce you to these guys. And it happens there, there is some sort of, you know, post-career SEAL influence uh, that goes along with with vets. And so the person that he introduced me to was a former SEAL as well. And, you know, we were talking all this time about the Trident approach. And I thought he wanted to work with the Trident approach. And, and then I, so at the end of the conversation, I was like, so what do you do? And it's like, well, we asked you, they actually wanted me to be the, uh, there, there's a there's a company that Vets also works with. It's called the Mission Within. And the Mission Within actually wanted me to be the CEO of their organization. I was like, bro, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> so, I don't, you know, I don't, you know, drugs isn't my thing. You know, I don't know anything about it. So he's like, well, why don't you come down to Mexico and see what we got going? And so it just so happens that, uh, you know, my first day in the SEAL teams, I heard about this kind of legendary seal this seal that was more aggressive and more you know kind of a couple of steps above the rest of us in terms of just sheer aggression and and, and almost violence you know he was 
some some of the groups that we worked with were some of the most aggressive guys in the teams, and even they were having to hold this guy back. Like, dude, you can't do that. He's like, ah, oh, you're American. So here was the deal: he was he wasn't born American. Um, he was born a foreign national, became an American citizen. And so when we were, or when they were in Iraq, you know, they're like, dude, you can't do that stuff here. He's like, you're Americans. You're here to play a patty cake. I'm here to win the war. And, uh, so I'd never met the guy, I'd never seen him or anything, but it just, he just had this legend about him. <clears throat> and he happened to be there in Mexico that weekend that I went to go down and, uh, um, he had just come off one of the medicines called Ibogaine, and then he was just about to go into a second medicine uh, called 5-MeO. And the bottom line is with this guy is if there was anybody who had skeletons in our closet or experienced or seen or even done some of the worst things imaginable to other humans, it was this guy. And seeing him go through his process and coming out and he looked me straight in the face and says, I'm going to have a better life. And that blew me away. And so he wasn't the only one there. There, there were a few other guys that were there. And we went back on Monday where their families were kind of receiving them. And I'll never forget this. There was a, there was a wife in the parking lot walking towards uh, her husband. And she just started crying in the parking lot. And she told me later it was because she saw for the first time that she had her husband back. So the deal is, you know, these guys are showing up. But the life is out of their eyes. Their skin is just not necessarily right and they've got this gaze going on it seems like like who they really are is, is absent of them because of their experiences and uh and when the wife saw her husband after four days of of entheogenic treatment uh you know she knew instantly just upon sight that that she had him back and so it's really 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 powerful stuff and i was lucky enough to get connected with these guys. And, uh, I've, I've been down there several weekends supporting just in a support mechanism. When you see what this is doing for guys, you know, it's just, it just motivates you to get as much as involved as possible. It's pretty awesome. I'm trying to rack my brain of, of who that is that you're talking about. Yeah. We'll talk about it offline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I was just like, man, I'm, I'm, it's hard to say like the most aggressive because there's a lot of aggressive guys. In the, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's so. part of the community. So when you think about you have your community, that's fully aggressive. And then there's one guy who's kind of, Hey, you got to calm down. You know, that says something that's, you know, um, so, yeah, that's cool. I, you know, like I've, I've heard a lot of stuff about, I listen to Joe Rogan's podcasts a lot and he mm -hmm. talks about all that. And I don't think he probably listens to us as much as, as we listen to him, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I've heard lots of good things about that, but I, I mean, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about it too. Cause I continue to read more and more articles about how, um, this is becoming, like a, you know, people are looking at this as like a more popular, like a viable course of action as far as treatment goes for guys with PTSD. Yeah. So I think, well, I can only ever speak for myself and, and, and what I think is going on with the guys that, that I'm sitting there, there uh, over the course of these weekends. Um, but I think probably the biggest thing that psychedelics uh, offers is a truer perspective on what life really is. Uh, from what I can tell for sure in my own experience and, and from what I'm observing in the American culture or the Western culture, I'll say is that, you know, we we're taught a lot of things that are very, very damaging to the self and to the mind and all these things, but we don't know. In fact, we think that that is like the litmus. That's the goal of how to perform. So, you know, terms like winning the rat race, you know, somebody who wins the rat race, you know, they're, you know, they're tremendously successful and really, really happy and all of these things. Um, and at the end of the day, it's all ego driven. And I'll, I'll just say just really quickly before psychedelic medicine, I didn't even realize that I had an ego. I mean, you know me, I never, I never walked into a room and just thought that I was better than anybody. Never did. Um, but Conversely, what I did was every time I walked into rooms, I didn't think that I belonged there. I didn't think that I deserved to be there. I felt like I was in the company of superheroes when I was in the SEAL teams and that I was just kind of lucky to be there. What I didn't realize at the time is that's how my ego was manifesting, you know, it, itself. And so psychedelics uh, really kind of show you what 
what these limiting factors are or what these maybe um, concepts that you may not necessarily be aware of or understand. And it, and it gives you a glimpse on into, you know, what really, really is, is important, which, which I have come to know for myself as being spiritually connected. Uh, and I had no spiritual connection. I, I grew up religious, but I kind of fell out of the whole thing just because of, you know, I was, I was reading certain things uh, in the Bible and oh, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. And so over, over time, you know, I think I'd been pretty heavily involved in the, in the church myself, absent of my family for probably about four or five years. And I was like, wait a minute, um, this just isn't right for me. So I was very spiritually disconnected. I didn't have any grounding in that way. I just didn't really know what was fun. And I was actually kind of fine with that. Um, but with psychedelics, you understand that there is something bigger and, and that what we see and what we understand is not all there is. There's way, way, way more, um, the, an, an unexplainable amount of more out there. And it, when it shows you that, um, then everything changes. And the hard thing I think to explain to people, especially if for people who've never done any kind of drug at all is, you know, when sometimes when you have these conversations, people say, well, dude, you were on a psychedelic drug. Like, what do you expect? You know, so they, so they, they relate the experience to a complete hallucination that is completely driven in the, in the drug. And it's just hard to have those conversations because the only thing I can say is what I've seen and what I've experienced in the, in the medicine for sure, without a doubt, uh, is realer than anything I've ever experienced. Even in this conversation that we are having today is not as real as, as, as what you feel when you're, when you're in the medicine. So, uh, yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, I can go on for, for a long time about, you know, the, the, the benefits of it, but, but for sure there, there are some medicines that actually, um, heal the brain from traumatic brain. It, it causes, uh, it, it decreases the swelling. Uh, it, it helps with, uh, correcting addictive behaviors, all of these things, um, that we're really lucky to have. Um, I think probably also another really important thing to mention is, you know, how and why does all this stuff, you know, get a bad rap the way that it does. And it actually, came about from a pretty sinister way. So um, psychedelics have been around, you know, obviously for thousands of years and people have been doing them for thousands of years, but they've actually been studied since like the twenties um, and studied with, with respect to uh, mental health and the effects and the power that, that, that they have. And so, um, but back in the 70s, Johnson and Johnson uh, was involved in, um, they're the ones that kind of created the pain scale. So we've always been at the, you've been at the doctor's office, say, Hey, on a scale of one to 10, how much does it hurt? And they're like, nobody knows what an eight is, but if you say eight, uh, that gives the doctor an opportunity to, to prescribe you Vicodin, which we all know is just like a, it's like a bandaid. It doesn't really help anything. doesn't cure anything, but, but what's worse is it has addictive properties to it. So you can get addicted to that stuff and, but not necessarily be healed. But, it was a way for them to make money. So, so they went ahead and, and, and did that. But the other thing that they did was they did the sweeping drug classification. You guys might've heard of like schedule one and schedule two. Well, what schedule one means is that it has no medicinal value and it has a high potential for abuse. So things like crack, <laughs> you know, and heroin, mm -hmm. um, are schedule one. Uh, and they also at the time that that happened was kind of the post hippie era. Uh, so they were like, hey, psychedelics are bad. Hippies are doing it. So it's got to be addictive and there is no medicinal value to this. And so they they classified it as schedule one. Um, the problem is for those who have done psychedelics, there's no explanation necessary. But for those who haven't, I can tell you that there's nothing addictive about these medicines. Um, you get you get your ass kicked hard. Um Sometimes when there's healing that's involved, you got to overcome things. These are not fun uh, to do a lot of a lot of the times, um, and they have enormous medicinal value. Value they, I've, you know, I've I've been in very very close contact with several several people who were 
on a daily basis, just trying to figure out whether or not they should continue to live every day. And they go through the medicine one time, not everybody, but a lot of guys one time, and it's not even a thing for them anymore. So if that's not medicinal value, you know, I don't know what is. And then we already talked about how it can decrease the swelling in the brain, um, increase neuroplasticity in the brain, all of these things. So it was misclassified for a good reason, I think, is because, you know, it can be a one and done treatment and there's no money to be made in one and done treatments. You know, they need to put people on Zoloft. They need to be, you know, put people mm-hmm. on Prozac, these lifelong medicines. You know, that's really where the money gets generated. So, you know, I've been talking for a while, but these are important things, I think, to talk about. So does destigmatizing the, the medicine, I think, is huge. Yeah, I, I think it's important to point out too. You you have a background in medicine as well. This isn't just you mm-hmm. kind of like spouting off like you were a corpsman. Um, so I know you have some some knowledge about that. Yeah, I started out in the Navy as a corpsman, uh, and then I tried to become a SEAL back in 1994. Um, couldn't pass any of the time run, so they threw me out. I eventually ended up getting out of the Navy. I became a civilian paramedic, and I worked all over the country uh, as a paramedic, and then I went back into SEAL training, became a medic again, and went through our pre-hospital trauma uh courses and things like that, which is, you know, certainly not as hard as EOD, but, but pretty up there in terms of scholastic difficulty. And I mentioned that because we do learn a lot about pharmacology and, and, and physiology and those types of things. So yeah, you're right. Just understanding some of the influences and impacts that some of these medicines have on the body was not something, you know, uh, unfamiliar to me, very used to being in medicinal circles for sure. You know, I was fortunate enough to get to go to Intrepid Spirit NICO on my way out. <clears throat> or at least it was a couple years ago. I'm not out yet. I got about, well, I have, uh, 36 days left. And you see a little bit of departure from the traditional Western treat the, you know, treat the, uh, symptom and not the origin uh going through those types of programs you 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 get to see a little bit of acupuncture you'd see a little bit of um non-traditional i mean even some things that i was extremely skeptical of going and petting a freaking horse you know i grew up in west virginia we had horses i'm like this is dumb why am i going to go pet a horse uh and then i went did it and did it in the context and the framing in which they conducted it and it was extremely enlightening um i think you know the biggest problem with a lot of these things and especially the things you're talking about is people just don't want to look at it in a different frame of mind they want to go with what the f you know the fda tells them and and that's just not you know you're looking at stuff like you said before things that have been around since we've been humans you know they, they've been figuring this out and been practicing it for millennia in some cases and they've gotten pretty good at it probably a hell of a lot better than the fda is going to get in a few more months you know so um i think it's time that folks really start to embrace a lot of this stuff and really you know get off the path of you know get outside the box thinking on because we do in common western medicine it is just you know you, you have a headache well let's give you something for the pain what the hell does that do for you? It just masks the symptom for a certain period of time. It doesn't do a damn thing for the pain, you know, and the same thing goes with, you know, a lot of stuff you're talking about too, with, with us, especially in the operational circles we ran in for, you know, the better part of a couple of decades, we compartmentalize the shit out of everything for so long. And then, you know, I don't care how many times you sit in front of a psych, uh, for one, it's got to be one you have a really good relationship for with to even get close to starting to cut open the tape a little bit or getting the bow off of that compartment, at least that one you want to work on. But then, you know, I think what you're talking about is completely just blasting it wide open from some of the stuff like Trevor's talking about, like Joe Rogan talks about and some of the guys at Andy Stumps had on his podcast. I mean, they're talking about that stuff is life changing. And some of the results they've had has been phenomenal. And it'd be really interesting to, I mean, 
from what I hear, it kind of scares the shit out of me, but it's, you know, then again, nothing I've ever done has been worth a damn. hasn't been. So, you know, not saying I'm in cause I'm still on active duty, but, uh, <laughs> we'll go. Yeah, everything. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. We'll record a follow up in 37 days. <laughs> and, uh, Sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure if Pfizer was involved in this, uh, it, it would probably be fast tracked through the whatever. So, kind of like what you were saying, Diego. <laughs> well, I think so. There was a bunch of stuff that Mike was talking about, I think, that are worth kind of digging in, but also what you were talking about. Uh, Trevor's is that they they are trying to you know there there's a lot of pharmaceutical companies that are trying to figure out how they can get involved in this thing. I mean, it is for sure still illegal. I forget I'm not up to speed on this, but I know that like Oakland, Denver, all of Colorado or all of uh, uh, Oregon, um, and Chicago, at least at one point, where they decriminalized the medicine. And decriminalization and, and legalization are completely different things. I don't know if anybody has actually fully gone to legalization. I'm, I'm pretty sure the answer to that is no, but I'm not 100%. But so the differences with legalization is, or, uh, is, is that it's government sanctioned, you know, and it's, you can sell it and buy it and, and have it and no problems. Um, and it's and, and most importantly, it's regulated by the government. With decrim decriminalization, it's still not necessarily legal to have, but it's way like on the most the bottom rung of of what uh, police officers are concerned with in terms of enforcement. So, for example, you know, if, if you got you know stopped on the sidewalk by a police officer and he found out that he had a bunch of uh, psilocybin or mushrooms in your pocket, you know, he, he could choose to to move forward with that. But it, it, it wouldn't be that big. He could probably just let you go and let, let you do your thing. So the reason why I mentioned that is, you know, because it's not legalized, you know, I think that whatever their tr Pfizer would be trying to do is, is they would be trying to head up before everything gets legalized so that when it does or if it does get legalized, that they're able to kind of pounce on this thing um, because they wouldn't be able to, you know, take Vicodin and do, you know, do, do what they do with Vicodin with with any kind of entheogenic medicine at, at this point. Um, so ultimately what that means is money. And so they're not, they're not going to be willing to waste their money. But, but I, what I do know is that there are these strategic plans in place to figure out that when it does become legalized, how to make it like long-term, like basically give you a pill form of Ibogaine that you would have to put in your medicine cabinet, which in my limited understanding is completely ludicrous because you don't need a medicine cabinet full of Ibogaine. You take Ibogaine one time. You, you don't need to do that, but you, so you can see already the trend and the effort and the focus and the strategy that they're trying to take, which is, is a reason why some people don't want psychedelics legalized at all, because they know kind of the fallout that's going to happen. And all of yeah. a sudden it's going to be like this chronic thing you got to take for the rest of your life. Well, I know, you know, where Mike and I grew up in West Virginia, that was a hot spot for the opioid crisis. I mean, that's, hmm. Yeah, you know that's ridiculous. Like some of the stuff people worry about. I'm like, look at this, dude. This, like, what's happening yeah. here is actually legal, right? Yeah. And you know, it's it's really sad state of affairs. But you know, so the the treatments that you're talking about, could you maybe like talk a little bit about the process here? Because I think when a lot of people hear this, they think you're like like going down some dark alleyway and, and knocking on a door and using a secret password to go into some dungeon or something. But, uh, you know, from what I understand, it's, it's nothing like that. Right. Well, it's, it's not so dramatic, uh, is that, but, but for sure, I mean, it can't be out in the open. I mean, it's illegal. Uh, so, these companies have to do what they can to make sure like for, for vets that I was mentioning uh, in particular, because of stuff. So what they do is they raise money so that it's free for the, for the veterans to go through the treatment. And so they found out a legal way to get around this. So what they do is they raise money uh, for these people to, to get treatment. And then they, they give it to the veteran and, and then say, you can spend this money on whatever you want, but we highly suggest you spend it, with this organization over here that's going to help treat you. And so in that way, 
because if they didn't do that for for example if they raised so for example it costs like five thousand dollars or so for the entire weekend that's like paying for doctors food housing all this stuff if they raised money specifically to give to these organizations that did that then even the people who were donating money could get in legal trouble so they've done their due diligence and they've got all they're protected by their lawyers and all of these all of these things so um but even having said that you know they're they're not walking around with you know you know psychedelics meetings meet here you know it's it's you know it is it is it's not out necessarily out in the open um because of that and also like you said i mean people are just afraid of this stuff they don't understand it i didn't understand it when they were talking about me doing it, i was like dude like i don't have i've been really really lucky all the times i went to war i don't have traumatic brain injury i don't have ptsd i don't or pts i don't have any of that stuff i just got really lucky so I kind of felt like I didn't need it at all. Um, but trying to get involved in the organization as much as I wanted to and as much as they wanted me to, I, I kind of had to. And when I came out of my first medicinal trip, I was like, everyone on earth needs this. Uh, and I felt like that for years. I don't feel like that anymore. There, there for sure are people that just it's just not the right fit for them. And that's OK. But for most people. Uh, if you can get past the, the stigma and the fear of it, for sure. So, yeah, what it is is, you know, um, well, I don't want to get too much into how it goes, but I can tell you that there is no cloak and dagger stuff going on. There's no, like, dark alleys. There's no, you know, it's it's just like if you can imagine any road trip that we took in the SEAL teams when we were, we were going to go shooting or something like that, it was just like that. We meet up, we get in the vehicles, and we go there and um, place on our own. And all the support mechanisms, safety, medical, everything is all in place. It's with, with the organization we work. Now, I know, I mean, it's just like anything else. There are plenty, plenty of psychedelic treatment centers that are just people you should not be trusting in the process <laughs> that you should not be trusting. So there are some are. dark alleys and secret passwords. <laughs> there are, yeah. And it's, um, I've been really lucky. And this kind of goes to a point that, that Mike was talking about before, about, you know, you'd petted horses your whole life. You know, like what good is this going to do me? Um, but everything changes with the context or what we would call the intention. I've had discussions with people who were hippies back in the sixties about psychedelics and they don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Like, what do you, you know, what do you mean? You know, I just saw colors and this was amazing, and, but there was no real, you know, spiritual development. So the same is true for psychedelics. I can say that I was lucky to be raised, if you will, by people who, treated this as medicine and as like a gift from the gods you know for us to expand and heal and all these things so medicine use has been always very very sacred to me like this is a serious thing like i'm not just like throwing down some some tabs for the weekend to see like how cool things get like you know i take this very very seriously and very very respectfully because i know the gifts that it has and I know, you know, the growth that I can that I can attain from it. So it very much, you know, there are people who have done a lot more psychedelics than I have that just have no idea what I'm talking about because they were all in it just for, you know, kicks, uh, which is fine. You know, there's nothing, you know, nobody's going to die from this stuff, which is also important to understand. But but it's you, man, I'm like, man, you, you've been doing this stuff for like 40 years and you, you know, you still have like this very, very powerful ego that you're not aware of. Like, how's that? You know? So I was very lucky to get involved with the guys that I was, that I was introduced to because they know how to do this right. And, and like I said, there are some contemporary treatment sites. They don't know how to protect you. They don't, or it's not on their agenda to. So if you do this, you know, just make sure you're really doing your research on, on who's offering this and how they go about doing it and what the support mechanisms are and all those things. Cause you, you, you know, things don't always end up well you know even very terrible things like uh you know when they're being taken advantage of while they're under the medicine just real you know it, it's as shady as anything can be um in some areas and it is the best that anything could be in other areas so you just be careful in that sense yeah so really no different than you know Going going to some whatever trailer somewhere in in West Virginia and getting scripts for 
or or in the best hospital in West Virginia. Um, you know, there uh, was talking about what was it like something like six hundred thousand, six hundred and fifty thousand deaths a year in hospital because of uh, medical malpractice. So, you know, I think a lot of this has to do with kind of undoing the me- the narrative that we've been kind of getting hammered with. You know, we talk about gun deaths. And, and uh, the numbers are all over the place. From what I've seen, gun deaths, I've seen like a couple thousand to, you know, maybe 10,000 or, or, or more. But there's all this energy to, to get rid of guns and ban guns. And, and, but medical malpractice is like a hundred something. You know, it's just, it's, the numbers are ridiculously higher um, than gun deaths. And people are like, oh, I got to go to a hospital in America because that's the only place I'm going to be safe. Like, are you sure about that? So there is a resistance, you know, of, oh, my God, mushrooms. Are you crazy? Like, are you out of your mind? Like, OK, yeah, no, go ahead and, and walk into the emergency room. And, you know, uh, nothing to get. You know, I work a lot of a lot, a lot of time in the hospitals. I had dear, dear friends that are the best professionals ever. I'm not I'm not discounting the profession or the industry at all. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, we're wired to think hospitals are amazing and wired to think that psychedelics are bad. Um, so we want to reverse that because psychedelics heal. So do hospitals, but you know, I think you know where I'm going with this. I, I, I just saw, I was reading something this morning about, I guess it was like Norway department of state or whatever was saying something about advising any of their citizens in the U S not to go anywhere for medical treatment because they they said poor quality healthcare systems like the U S and it's not what we think it is. Yeah. You know, it it is strange or we can have this whole narrative on these things are like the devil. And this thing is as great as it can be. And it's completely the opposite. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just strange how, you know, we get our information and it just turns into our reality, you know. And then you get into the, the other side of the the billing and the insurance and somehow they can they can send you a bill for like I had a splenectomy shoot twenty some years ago with all my intensive care and all that stuff it was like forty five grand, I think. That was at E five at the time. And I'm like, Well sh- I don't make this in a year. I'm screwed. Yeah. And uh, so I took it down to the TRICARE office and they're like, oh yeah, thanks. We'll take care of that. And then I got a bill back from whoever the folks were that sent me the bill. And out of that 45,000, they paid about 15,000 of that entire 45,000, but I owed nothing, but it's TRICARE got, they have a deal. This is all the insurance. So if, if they think if, if the surgeon thinks that his his or her time was $8,000 to remove your spleen. And the insurance says, well, we appreciate that, but we're going to pay you 3,500. That's what they pay them. And it's, that's it. It's done. It's insane. But if yeah. you were go walk in the street with no insurance, you get that $45,000 bill, you get that $45,000 bill. And it makes that's no it. sense to me yeah. how they we've got to where we're at right now. And it's, it's still confusing as hell. And that was a complete tangent, but this, our, our healthcare system. And I worked up at DC and it is just jacked up. It is so jacked up. I don't know how the hell we'll ever fix it. Yeah, we have to rewire our minds yeah. is, is what it is, which is not an easy thing to do, but that's, I think that's the only way because we're so, like hard driven to capitalize off of this whole thing. And I mean, a huge reason why doctors charge as much as they do is their malpractice is out of this world for, you know, we already talked about how many deaths, but there are also many people who are getting sued for things that, you know, nothing went wrong, but, you know, they're losing all these suits. So that all of these things contribute to driving up the price and stuff. And when we're the ones who end up losing, especially if you can't afford insurance i mean you're in trouble you know Um, absolutely as somebody who works around insurance a lot i can tell you that like the the premiums for malpractice and like any kind of errors and omissions or malpractice insurance is pretty steep 
and the amount of coverage that you're expected to carry is is pretty ridiculous too so yeah i know but you know it's okay they just pass those costs along uh to you so you know the other thing like i don't know what you can or can't say about the process um but you know kind of like based off of what i've read about this stuff is like you were saying, you're not going at it. Nobody's like giving you something and saying like, here, go take this and then wander off in the woods for four or five days. There's people there that kind of know how to guide you through and, you know, take care of you while you're there because um, yeah, it's, it's at least if you're going to somewhere that's a reputable establishment, that's doing this treatment, it's, you know, there's a little bit more to it than that. Right. Yeah. So Psychedelics as a whole are off the charts safe. We hardly, hardly, hardly anyone dies from an overdose of psychedelics. You just feel really, really terrible for a really, really long time. Um, but that's not true for all the medicines. Uh, I've mentioned Ibogaine before. Um, that's about one of the more dangerous uh, psychedelic medicines out there. But uh, with proper screening, pre-screening and assessment, there's no real danger with Ibogaine either. So one of the things that Ibogaine can do is slow your heart rate down so much that you, you know, you, you go into arrhythmia. Um, and I forget what the numbers are, but they're, they're tiny about the recorded deaths of Ibogaine. And you can imagine there's probably not very many, you know, people, Hey, he died because of Ibogaine, but. Well, now they'll uh, just so- say it was because of COVID. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, uh, so what what we do is we make sure the guys get a cardiac stress test. You know, they, you know, we understand their blood pressure and that thing. And then um, when we put them down before they get it on the medicine, they've got an IV catheter in place and an EKG in place. And all this stuff can sound really, really scary for people who are not used to this stuff. But it it purely is just for uh, um, precautionary things. And we've never ever, ever, ever had a problem with the guys because we screen them, you know? Um, and the truth of the matter is, you know, people have heart attacks in their sleep, so you don't necessarily need to be, you know, running up Mount Kilimanjaro to expect something like that. But we take care of the guys. Uh, there, there are doctors that are on site the entire time they're under Ibogaine. We have nursing staff that's, that's there. Um, and we have medical plan. We've got a medic there, you know, sometimes I work there as a paramedic as well. So all those people are in place. And then what you were talking about before is we also do have, uh, um, therapists and some of these are actual psychologists. Some are licensed social workers. Um, I go there from time to time as a psychedelic reintegration coach, because there is, you know, you get so much, it's, it's hard to understand, you know, what you just experienced, but all of those things we have in place uh, to, to make sure that everybody is as safe as can be and that everything's on the up and up because, you know, we don't. And I, from time to time, we'll get new therapists in and they'll be like, man, I've been like all over the place and you guys are like on a whole nother level. And it's just like everything with Naval Special Warfare, you know, we take it, you know, to the nth degree to make sure that it is the best thing going. For us, it's just kind of how things have always run. It's kind of how we always new things should be. Um, but apparently, and I, 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 I don't have any outside experience with any other organizations. Um, I guess we're just, um, we're different in that, in, in that respect, but I can't say for sure. I just say, I, I can just, um, echo the comments that I hear from other therapists coming in and seeing how we do business. That's good, man. What about, so like, you know, once somebody completes, what are they, what are they called? Is it like a cycle or whatever of treatment? Uh, we'll just call it a treat. They've completed a treatment. Yeah. yeah. Is that like, a, I'm, I'm sure it's different for every person, but, you know, as far as like, how, how long does that last? Are there people that, you know, sometimes they just do one treatment and they're fine or, you know, what's kind of like the, the long-term effects of those treatments? Yeah. So it's, it's different for everyone. For me, for example, I didn't feel like I needed any of it. And I continue to pursue psychedelic medicines because I just learn so much. And, you know, I, you know, just by the factor of being a human being, 
you know, I have these traumas or these experiences or these, these thoughts or whatever they are. And I want to get a deeper understanding of what that is so that I can become stronger and better. But, but for the most part, um, the folks that go down there for chemical addiction or post-traumatic stress or, or whatever it is, I, I would very easily for the most part, it's one and they don't want to do it anymore. They're, they're, they're thankful for it. They're better for it. And, but, but there's no interest in going back there um, and, and doing it again. I would say easily that that is the vast majority of, of people that go through. It's a very, very powerful experience, but it's hard. Um, I liken it to, um, so I was, I was 29 years old when I made it through Hell Week. So they let us go to sleep. And then when, we, when they woke us up, the next day we had to go for just to do sort of a muster, a head count, roll call. Um, it took me 15 minutes to stand up from my bed. I was just, I just, my body just felt like it got run over by a steamroller. And I was just, I was looking around all the 18 year olds and they're all just smiling and eating <laughs> pizza and stuff. But I was not doing well for a, a while uh, with psychedelics. I can, my, my mind and my brain feel like I felt after I woke up from my first sleep after hell week. It's, it's punishing um, for me now. For example, so uh, so the ibogaine can last, like when you're really, really in the medicine, can last about 12 to 16 hours or so. Um, but it stays with you over a course of about three months, but you're actually in the experience for about 12 or 16 hours. Um, and we'll, so we'll take it at, you know, eight o'clock at night or so, and then uh, we'll be laying in these beds and it'll look like everyone's sleeping, but no one is asleep. You're just in this awake slash dream state. Um, and then, you know, you'll somewhere around eight or nine in the morning, you'll be kind of completely free of the experience. And some guys, I don't know how they're downstairs and they want to eat breakfast and they're all happy and stuff. Cause they experienced like all this life changing stuff for me. I can't even come down stairs until the following day. Cause I'm so just like beat and dizzy and I can't stand up straight. I can't focus on anything. Uh, so uh, it, it's different for everybody. So if we take it on Friday night, like I won't, I won't make it downstairs sometimes until Sunday morning. It's very, very hard. And this, this is Ibogaine that we're talking about. We take another medicine. It's, it's the most powerful psychedelic in the world. It's called 5-MeO-DMT, not to be confused with DMT. Um, but that lasts about five to seven minutes and you can drive your car home after that. But it's, it's just hard to explain, but it, but it, it is, you know, where you go with 5-MEOs is like nowhere or nothing else. Um, so it just depends on the medicine. And for sure, if you take what people call like heroic doses, large doses of, of psilocybin or mushrooms, you know, you can be in that experience for four or five or even six hours sometimes. So it just depends. Man, that's, uh, yeah, I, I just, and so do you guys continue to follow up with people who go through the treatments or... You know, what kind of feedback have you gotten from them as far as like how they're doing long term after a treatment? So, I'll, you know, just if I was just going to generalize, um, it's really hard to, you know, because the guys are going through for the most part, they've got real serious stuff that they've got to work on. You know, they were, you know, they were victims of suicide vests and all this, you know, all this really terrible, the most, most horrible stuff you can imagine. Um, or people dying through mistakes or, or whatever, just the cause of war, whatever it is, they go through some really terrible stuff. And then once they get into medicine, you know, whatever lessons that they have to learn, they have to learn, but it's not like you're, you're not given like written detailed plain, simple, understand instructions on what to do or how to know or whatever it is. Psychedelics really kind of speak to you in the same ways that dreams do. If you believe that dreams, you know, have a purpose and that they are communicating lessons to you and, and that type of thing, it's the exact same way. So to understand a psychedelic experience, you have to kind of know how to really interpret your dreams really. And if you don't know how to do that, it can be very, very hard. So absolutely, we have people go through and then we give them follow-up sessions um, because these, as I was saying, you can go through Ibogaine once, um, but you continue to get these lessons for like a lifetime. 
you know, for example, like the first time I did Ibogaine, I think it was in 2019 or so. And just last week, um, something came across my mind where there was just this little fogginess of my first experience that I said, oh, that's what that meant. Wow. You know, so it's, it, it can continue giving you benefits and lessons, you know, throughout your life. So also because of how kind of hard these things can be, uh, I needed somebody to talk to because I didn't know what to make of this. I didn't even know, you know, I was, I was basically smashed in my face because of my ego, which I didn't know existed. So I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't know what was going on. So thanks to the people, the therapists that were there and they showed me, you know, what this was and what this meant and how to move forward. Um, man, that, that made everything better because, um, if I was left up to my own devices on that, um, I, I don't know where necessarily I would be in terms of clarity or what the use was of all that sort of punishment, but now it's clear as day. So I was really, I would say, if you're going to go through this, make sure you connect with somebody who is a psychedelic reintegration coach or a psychedelic therapist or, or, um, a psychologist or, or, um, psychiatrist who does understand psychedelics because not a lot of them do i mean you're not even allowed to know that kind of stuff it seems like um but if you have somebody who knows and that can help you navigate you know your healing process and it, it, it really does make everything better um and one thing i think uh, uh, is important to also to mention now that i'm talking about uh psychologists and psychiatrists and things there's a doctor, his name is uh, Dr. Stanislav Grof. He was he a was, uh, famous guy back in the 70s, and he was way, way deep into psychedelics. And, uh, and he is quoted as saying that he learned uh, more from four hours of doing psychedelics than he did in 20 years of psychotherapy, uh, which is when I think about what that actually means, that is that just blows me away. Because then I think about, well, what do other psychologists and psychiatrists know or think they know who haven't experienced psychedelic medicine you know what is that um another quote he has that he's really famous for saying is that psychedelics are to the mind what microscope is to biology and telescopes are to astronomy so really in a way you feel like it's hard to actually know how to really treat people and really how to help people with problems of the mind without knowing psychedelics now that's that's just diego talking this is you know uh you know don't take that as gospel or anything like that but i i think that how, how could you really really help people if you don't really fully understand what we're actually dealing with uh, you know and especially when the default mode mechanism is to hey this person's struggling i've counseled them as much as i can i don't know what to do here's uh here's a loft you know i think in most circles uh, psychedelic circles, the aim is never met, is never pharmaceuticals. It's how do we get this person to actually understand what, what's actually going on? Um, because I think a lot of the, the benefits that come from psychedelics is simply awareness. Just knowing things that you never knew before is enough sometimes. And, uh, and so you don't need to put these people on a shelf and forget about them and then just, you know, cloud their minds with these drugs, really. I mean, I, it's funny because now I call medicine drugs and I call psychedelics actual medicine because, you know, they, I don't know, to me, they work. That's cool. Well, I, I remember last time we chatted, uh, you were mentioning something about writing a book about this, right? Yeah, we're writing a book now. Uh, we're we're into the we've got all the data collection that we needed, and we're well into the manuscript process. Uh, we're hoping to release it next year, um, and it's not it's not necessarily a book about psychedelics, but it is. So it's 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 a book on our approach to personal team and leadership development, and so because we have you know a deeper understanding of things that we never understood before. Um, we do talk about psychedelics in that, in that respect, like, Hey, this is where we got this from. It's not coming from, you know, listening to, uh, Ted talks or, or, or reading other people's books. Like this, this is information that we came into from the deepest parts of ourselves. Um, 
which is where we think really, I mean, I, I absolutely believe that everything we need to heal or to understand or whatever, whatever we need is all within us. We just have to clear out all that static and all the noise that we've created in our contemporary lives so that we can hear what we are already familiar with. Good stuff. Yeah. I, I'm a, I can't wait to, I actually, you'll have to send me an advanced copy. Or I'll okay. buy one. I don't care. I'll pay for it. I don't mind paying for for good. I'll material. send you the manuscript, and you can you can yeah. Uh, you can yo. This is stupid, and take this out, or this doesn't <laughs> make sense to me. That'd be helpful. Uh, I just yeah. yeah, you know, I love getting perspectives on things like that. So, well, if if somebody's interested in pursuing like that course of treatment, what's you know how do they go about doing that? Uh, you know, it just it just starts with the, the Internet. I would definitely uh, start to look at the people that you already know and see, you know, who you know that m- might be connected with psychedelics in any way and start connecting with those communities because they're everywhere. They're all over the world. There are some amazing places where no no amount of money is too small, but they'll give you the experience of a lifetime. And there are people who will do this just out of the goodness of their hearts. It really they're they're everywhere. So just be careful um and do your due diligence and researching, you know, who you know who is offering this stuff and, and just make sure that they're that they're upstanding people and which is which can be hard because you're like oh these guys are like druggies like no (laughs) um there are some some of the best people that i've ever met in my life in terms of truly good people that only want to do good for the world are involved in the psychedelics so there are plenty of really really amazing people out there um just start i would say start looking through your networks that you already have um because people don't necessarily talk about it a lot and you may know a lot more people in your own your own circles than than you realize, and and that could be a really good starting point. Yeah. Follow up question: Where can people get in touch with you? Um, my email is Diego at the Trident Approach. Uh, D i e g o at the Trident Approach dot com. Uh, you can email me there, and I'm I'm happy. Like if, if you've gone through psychedelic experiences and you don't really know what to do, I, I can help you through those things. I do a lot of coaching with people who've never done psychedelics, but using psychedelic lessons learned. So for awareness and strengthening and empowerment and those types of things. So, um, yeah, you're welcome to reach out. Um, happy to help in, in every way I possibly can. Yeah. Those that's conversations awesome. are not unusual. As we were going through this, I was thinking about another episode that, um, Mike and I, uh, had recorded with, a you know, another EOD guy, uh, Chad Monroe spent a lot of time down the street and he was talking about some of that. He was doing some stuff like ketamine infusions mm-hmm. and he was like, dude, that helped me so much. Yeah. Um, and I, I was like, Oh, well, that's cool. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my only experience with ketamine was when I was on a medevac helo in Afghanistan and, and the doc showed me the syringe and, uh, you know, I was like, oh, yeah. And then I just blasted off into outer space and fell asleep yeah. on the helo. All the guys were mad at me um, because there was it was like a British medevac helo and there's all these cute medics on there. And I just remember walking on and sitting down and they all came up to me. I was like, hey, what's up? And <laughs> they said that I just like slumped over in the back. And he's like, yeah, they stopped paying attention to us and they all went over there to you. And ah, like, that's funny. Sorry, man. <laughs> and I woke up in the hospital and they were cutting all my clothes off. It was the oh, first man. time I've been in air conditioning in like four months. <laughs> so, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Diego, I wanted to thank you for coming on here again and chatting with us. This is a, a pretty cool episode for me, like learning about this, because I hear people talk about it all the time, but I think you're the only person I know who's actually been through the treatment and, you know, can, you know, speak about it to me from firsthand experience. So thanks again for coming on the show, man. Yeah, totally. Um, and by the way, for people who want, you know, to understand the self and healing on this level, but have no interest in doing psychedelics it's totally fine. There are so many other options out there, uh, like holotropic breathing, like just really, really intense breathing that you can do on your own or with somebody else 
that can bring you to these places that psychedelics do completely absent of the medicine. Um, the other thing that you can do is are the float tanks uh, where you are, you know, immersed in water that's so salty that you just float and it's the same body temperature and it's completely dark and completely quiet. That takes some training and it takes some time, uh, I would say probably on average about uh, seven to 10 hours of, of floating in the tank of just training. And then you can get to a place where um, just like with psychedelic medicines, where you're really, really letting go, you're letting go of a, attachment and, identify, and, and identifying with yourself and just letting go of that whole thing is probably not grounded conversation for people who are not used to this type of stuff, but really letting go of all your fears, letting go of all your inhibitions, letting go of all of the things that kind of encapsulate you and hold you down, just letting it all go. Um, you can absolutely experience all the healing mechanisms that psychedelics have to offer without any medicine, uh, just in, in, in those areas. And, you know, and last, last but not least, you know, meditation, um, for example, there, there was a Buddhist monk who has, you know, what some of us would consider to be a master level understanding of meditation. And they're like, Hey, we want to, we want to give you this, uh, acid. And he's like, okay. So he tries it and he's like, oh yeah, that's, that's what happens when I meditate. And we're like, what? So, um, you know, there, there are all kinds of other pathways, uh, to seeing and understanding and, and experience and this type of healing on, on the deepest levels imaginable. Uh, without uh, psychedelic drugs. So there's all kinds of options. Um, one story I think that's really cool, I know we're wrapping up here, but I think it kind of puts things in perspective is um, if you imagine Leif Erikson, he's like the Viking that, that we think discovered North America about uh, 500 years or so before Columbus, but um, he ended up uh, landing in Canada. If you can imagine you know, him being in the Atlantic Ocean um, on a ship with his crew and things and psychedelics kind of came and picked up, uh, Leif and brought him to Canada and put the earth in his hands. And, you know, he kind of looked around and he saw what was going on and then psychedelics brought him back and put him on a ship and let him go. Um, that's what psychedelics do. They, they show you what's possible, but it's still up to you to get there. Leif still had to manage his crew. He still had to make sure that his boats were doing well. He still had to navigate the currents and the winds and the weather. He still had to do all that stuff. But imagine, you know, him doing that, knowing, hey, just over there is where we're trying to go. And I think that's really the big gift that psychedelics have. Instead of just being lost, I don't know what we're doing here. I don't, or being maybe taught the wrong things growing up, like so many billions of us has been of of like, this is what awaits us after death. You know, psychedelics can show you the way, but then again, it's up to you to continue what we call integrating it or really taking those lessons and applying them to the rest of your life as you go forward um, to really living a happier life of balance. Yeah. I, re yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and I really appreciate your insight in, in the out of the box perspective on the way the, the approach to healing, I think, especially for a lot of us. And, and what I really like to thank you for is continuing to help and give back to the community. Cause I think that's, I, I have no doubt some of the stuff you're doing, saving people's lives, not only theirs, but it's making their home life and, you know, their spouses and their kids. It's having, you know, uh, an effect that's felt multi-generationally. So I, I applaud you on that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think of the best response to that is that it's my pleasure. It's amazing to be part of that stuff, to see these guys showing up the way they show up and see them leave the way they leave. It's, uh, it's, it's an honor for me to even be involved in any way in that powerful, powerful, you know, situation. And I, I, I get that, you know, another perspective. It took me getting out of the military to realize how much like how good it feels to help somebody else that, that has a problem with that. I, you know, I just kind of never really thought about it while I was still active duty. We're like, we're doing this stuff. And we're like, yeah, it's just our job. And uh, you know, it amazed me is like, I have a greater appreciation for, you know, like myself when I help somebody else and, and other people when they help, help somebody else too. So awesome, man. Yeah. I'm glad you got the chance to come on here and talk about this. 
And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the book when it comes out. All Me right, too. buddy, you got it. All right, Thank everybody. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. Have a good one, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net. And let us help you get to vet.